will be back in the book of Hebrews this morning. We took a break in December. We talked about the birth of Jesus. We had arrived at Hebrews chapter 4 and almost finished it. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll look at the last three verses of the chapter, 14, 15, and 16. Just a brief recap. The author of Hebrews is trying to help his audience to stand firm in Jesus. These are Jewish people who knew the Jewish laws and the Jewish way of life who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and now because of persecution and and suffering, they are tempted to go back to their old ways. They're tempted to trust in the things of what we would call the Old Testament. They're, they're being tempted to put too much focus on angels, it appears. And they're putting too much focus on Moses. And they're putting too much focus on the law and these things of the Old Testament. And the author of Hebrews wants his audience to know that Jesus is better than all of these things. Now, we saw at the beginning part of Hebrews chapter 4 that it spoke of Jesus giving people a better rest. Now, certainly in the Old Testament, Moses led the people out of slavery and Joshua led them into the promised land. But the author of Hebrews says, look, Jesus brings us something better. And he gives some examples. He said, look, for those in the Old Testament who were disobedient and didn't listen to God, They didn't make it into the promised land, only those who were faithful. And then the last few verses we looked at talked about the Word of God. It's living and effective and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And we we talked about this idea about listening to the Word of God. Now that verse is a verse that we may know and and kind of by itself uh, it makes sense. But in the context, it it may be kind of hard to see exactly what it means there. But I think what the author of Hebrews has been telling us is, hey... We see examples in the Old Testament about people who did not listen to God's words, to God's command, and it's bad. There's bad results when we are disobedient and disregard God's command. Therefore, he says, listen to the word of God, the commands of God. And in the New Testament, we are told pretty clearly that Jesus is the word of God. And the author of Hebrews wants his audience to listen to the word, to listen to Jesus. Now, he's kind of alluded to in the first four chapters that we've looked at on a couple of occasions the idea of the priesthood and of Jesus being a better high priest for us. And from here, really, until chapter 11, that's the main focus of the author of Hebrews. For the next five, six chapters, that's really going to be the main focus. He's going to kind of get off into a couple of little other areas, but really starting here, he is is getting ready to to pound this point about Jesus as the high priest on. So there may be some questions you have about the high priest and about different things we see in the coming months, and we're going to try to answer those, but but have no fear. If there's something we don't talk about of the high priest, we're going to talk about it probably more as we continue on. So this morning, we're going to kind of begin to dip our toe into this conversation, into this idea, into the significance and, of, and importance of Jesus being a high priest for us. So let's pray, and then we'll look at the text. Father God, we come to you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be on us, that you'd give us a, a, just, a, just a spirit of peace this morning, that you would help us to focus on you, to not be worried or be afraid or concerned about things of the world, dear Lord, but 
that we know we're in a safe place today, dear Lord, in your presence, in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray, God, that your word would speak to us today, that maybe today we would let our guard down, dear Lord. Maybe, maybe we've had our walls up to you, but maybe today we would begin to tear some of those walls down, that, that your word may penetrate our heart, that we would hear from you and listen to you, dear Lord. And I pray today that we'll experience your grace, dear Lord, because we cannot make it apart from your grace. So God, I pray that today that we'd find your grace in your word. I ask that you hide me behind the cross, that you take away any fear or pride I have today, and, and by your power and by your strength that you, that you speak through me to each one of us in this room, and all for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. So here we begin to see this connection being made by the writer of Hebrews that Jesus is the high priest. Now, just very briefly, we'll talk about this idea in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system, and God had set everything into place and had given the people very specific instructions as to how to build the tabernacle and ultimately how to build the temple and all these sacrifices that would have to be made on behalf of God's people for the purification of sins. They would have to bring certain animals or certain birds, and they would have to be prepared in certain ways, and the blood would have to be sprinkled in certain ways. And it was a whole lot of stuff that God commanded these people to do. And there were priests that God had set into place, and there was one high priest who was above them all, and once a year he would go into the most holy of holy places to offer sacrifices and to, and to carry out the things that God had called him to do. And in the Old Testament, this was the priesthood. This is the way in which sins were atoned for. The sins of all the people of Israel were atoned for by the blood of the animals, and it was offered by the priest and the high priest. And so the author of Hebrews, obviously his audience is aware of this system. They had lived under this system for a long time. Well, now Jesus has come onto the scene, and Jesus has become the ultimate sacrifice. And not only is, the, is he the ultimate sacrifice who atones for our sins, but he is the high priest who offers the sacrifice who is himself. Now, we see this language as we continue to read in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, for instance, verses 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, he has opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Now, the author of Hebrews is continuing this language between what we're reading today all the way up through Hebrews chapter 10, and he's making that connection for the people. 
In the Old Testament, there was a curtain that separated that most holy place that only the high priest could go into. And what does he say? He says, look, Jesus being our high priest has, has, has opened the curtain that we can go before God, that our sins can be forgiven. And, and the very curtain which allows us to go into the most holy place, to be in the presence of God, to be atoned for, is the very flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus was nailed to a cross, when he was crucified, that is the sacrifice, the atonement, the blood that was shed for you and I so that we could be forgiven. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, that's why it says that the veil was torn. That veil, that curtain that separated the most holy place that only the high priest could enter into, Jesus, through his death, ripped that old way down and through his flesh created a new way of atonement. He is the high priest who has given himself once and for all, whose blood was shed so that we can be made pure. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to bring that point home. He tells his audience, and we'll get to this later, he says, look, if the blood of bulls and goats was sufficient, there wouldn't be a need for Jesus. But it was insufficient. There needed to be a better way. There needed to be a better sacrifice. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That is, the price has to be paid. If evil is done, then justice must be served. And Jesus took the price that we owe for sin by giving his life for us so that we could be forgiven. And so Jesus is our high priest, a better high priest. The old priesthood has passed away, the author of Hebrews. He makes that point very clear over the next five chapters. The old has passed away, and there is a new priesthood. There is a new covenant, and Jesus is the high priest. And we as believers are a royal priesthood. There's no priesthood in the old way. There's no more sacrifices that are to be offered. And that's what we see here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, that Jesus, the Son of God, has become that high priest for us. And so with that information, with that knowledge of knowing who Jesus is, what does he say? Let us hold fast to the confession. That is, you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And knowing that he is the greatest high priest who has offered the greatest sacrifice once and for all, hold firm to the confession you have made. Hold firm to your faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Isn't that beautiful language right there? What does he say? He says, you want to go back to the old priesthood, to the old way of doing things, but let me tell you that Jesus is the better high priest because he has been like us in every way. He has been tempted in every way that you have been. He has been tested and tempted. That same word, oftentimes we see it in the New Testament, same word for tested and tempted. Your, your Bible may say either one. But Jesus has been tested as we have been, are tempted as we have been. But the key words at the end of verse 15 are, yet he is without sin. That's what made Jesus unique. Now, certainly the other priests who had to offer the sacrifices, well, yeah, they were tempted and they were tested too, just as the people whom they were offering the sacrifices on their behalf were. But Jesus is different and that he is the only high priest 
who is perfect. He offers sacrifices and he is without sin. And so when we struggle with sin, the only place that we can find help is to go to the one who is without sin. The only one who has been tempted as you and I have been, and yet he has no sin. You may remember at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that Jesus was tempted by the devil. Oh, the devil tried his best tactics to try to tempt Jesus and to get Jesus to fail, but Jesus did not fail. Jesus fought those temptations, and he overcame those temptations. Now, you and I in this room today are fighting temptations. They're all different temptations. Yours is different than mine, and mine is different from somebody else's. But there are temptations that are before each one of us today. And the question is, are you fighting those temptations? Are you struggling with those temptations? Now, if, if you say today, well, no, I'm not struggling with temptation. Well, then there's a good chance the reason you're not struggling with temptation is you're just giving in. If you just give in as soon as the temptation comes, there is no struggle. At least, maybe not immediately. At least, maybe there's no pain immediately. Say, I got no pain. I got no struggle with temptation. Because I just do what I want to do when I want to do it. But have no fear. You know and I know that the struggle and the pain comes. It may not come in that moment of sin, but it's going to come. You're going to feel the consequences. You're going to feel the pain of that temptation at some point. So why not feel the pain at the beginning? Why not as soon as that temptation and that desire comes, you say, I will not do it. And it is hard. Who is hard? When you're fighting against temptation and you, you, you're just longing for something you know you probably shouldn't eat, it's hard. Have you ever tried to cut out sugar in your life? It's hard. There's been a couple of times in the last couple of years that I say, I'm going to cut out most of the sugar I eat. And I can do pretty good for two or three days. But then you get that craving for that candy bar or that Coke or whatever it is. And you try to resist that temptation. It's hard. And you know that. You know that on a much more serious level because you know the sin that so easily ensnares you. That thing that you know is not good for you. That thing that you say, I'm not going to do it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And then that's good for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden there's a moment of weakness or a moment where you begin to think about the good things of that temptation and you say, well, maybe if I just gave in to it a little bit, and that's when the battle begins, and that's when it gets tough because we say, I will not give in to this temptation. And it is a battle, and it is a struggle because that sin looks so good. And so what do we do when those times come? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us what we can do, and that is we can hold fast to Jesus Christ. We can hold fast to the one who knew no sin, who has been tested and tempted in every way that you have been, and yet he has overcome everything. And so we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ, not one who cannot sympathize with us. Jesus can sympathize with us. Jesus is not just the Son of God who's been sitting up in heaven his whole life saying, do this and do that. No, Jesus came and he took the form of flesh and he lived among you and I. And he was loved by some, and he was hated by some. And he was nailed to the cross by some. And he was beaten, and he was mocked by some. And a crown of his thorns was placed on his head by some. And Jesus knows what it is like to be tempted, what it is like to be betrayed, what it is like to feel unloved, what it is like to just suffer great suffering. Jesus knows what that is like. And so we have a great high priest today. 
You may not know it, but I want to tell you, there's a great high priest today in Jesus Christ who says, I know your struggles. I know your pain. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard, but Jesus says, I want to give you strength. I want you to come to me, you who are weary and burdened, so that I can give you a better rest than what Joshua gave, so that I can be a better high priest to you, that there is nothing that you can offer. There's nothing that you can sacrifice. There's nothing that you can do other than come to me because I have done everything for you. I have sacrificed all. I have paid it all. I just want you to come to me. And that's what Jesus is calling us to today. Perhaps there are some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ and have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You may know of him. You may know the scriptures. You may know the Bible. But have you ever really trusted Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Are you living for him or are you living for yourself? If you're living for yourself today, then Jesus wants you to live for him. He wants to give you the help that you need to get through the difficulties, to get through the hard times, to get through the temptations. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. This is a good word of encouragement and a good word of warning. Sometimes even for those who are in Christ, we think, Oh, I'm in Christ. I'm pretty strong. My faith is good. I'm pretty obedient. I'm pretty righteous. I'm pretty good about seeking God. Well, hold up. Be careful. Because the temptations don't give up. They don't stop. They always come. It doesn't matter, I don't think, how old we get. If we live to 100, I think those temptations and those trials and those days of suffering, they're going to come, so we got to be careful. We think we stand, we'll hold up. We better make sure that we're standing on Christ lest we fall. And then he continues on in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. And he says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. Okay, that's good. So you're tempted, everybody else is tempted, you're not alone. Everybody in this room, you may think, man, why doesn't he struggle? Why doesn't she struggle? They do. Everybody in this room struggles in some way. Now, some of us are better at hiding it. Some of us give in to the temptation, and everybody knows it. They can see it, and they say, can you believe he or she's doing that? Some of us give in to the temptation, but we hide it really good, and nobody knows what's going on. Some of us put on a smile. We put on a good face. Oh, I'm strong. I'm not having a hard time. But the truth of the matter is, is that everybody in this room struggles from time to time, and probably on a daily basis. There's the temptation. There's the struggle. There's the suffering. We are going through it. And it's not easy to go through such things. But hey, the things that you're experiencing, they're, they're, they're common to man. Everybody experiences these things. So in a way, that's encouraging in and of itself. That there are other brothers and sisters in Christ that have walked the walk that we have walked. That are going through some of the same struggles that we are going through. And there is strength to be able to sit down and talk to a brother or sister, just to get them to pray for you. There's strength in that. To not fight this battle on your own, to not keep it bottled up. And so we, strength, we seek the strength of God. We seek the strength of other brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that we're all on this journey, that we're all struggling, that there's suffering for each of us at some point in time in our lives. Let's continue on in verse 13 there. It says, God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Now, how are we going to bear our temptation? How are we going to escape our temptation? By the power of God. And what does it say here? God doesn't put something on us that we cannot bear. It's not like there is any temptation that overcomes you that it's impossible for you to overcome it. No, it's, it's possible. 
It's possible by the power of God. And what does it say? There's nothing you can't bear because God does what? He gives you a way of escape. He gives you a way of escape. Now, sometimes we need to do a better job of paying attention to those ways of escape. Sometimes we see the way of escape and we pass right on by. We see that thing, that sin that's before us, and it looks good, and we are like one of those bugs flying into those, those, those things that light up, and you just see them going in there like a zombie, and you hear them zapping, and you're thinking, man, maybe the next bug's going to see and learn, but they don't. There's hundreds of them, and they just go toward the light, and they could fly to the left, or they could fly to the right, or they could fly above or below, but they go right into the midst of what's going to kill them. And sometimes sin is like that for us. We are so drawn to that sin. And God says, hey, you can turn at any time. Here's an exit. There's an exit. You don't have to do this. We need to see our ways of escape, and we need to take those escape routes. If you struggle with drinking, you don't need to stop at the bar. If you see somebody that, that gets you fired up, that gets you angry, that gets you in a sinful way, then maybe you just need to, you need to turn and go a different way in the supermarket instead of confronting them and having a, having a, 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 a blow-up. You need to turn and say, God, you need to help me because I see this person and I get so angry, I hate them. God, I don't want to feel that way. Help me to see them next time and not feel that. But right now, God, i got to take the way of escape because if I see them, it's not going to be good. And God gives us ways of escape, and they may be very simple or practical. You may say, boy, if I keep looking on my computer, I might look at something I shouldn't look at. Well, maybe you need to get up and leave your computer. Maybe that's your way of escape. Maybe your way of escape is very simple, and it's right before you. But God gives us a way of escape in temptation. And the first place that we need to go is to Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet he is without sin. That needs to be the first place we run and say, okay, this is getting tough. This temptation is getting hard. This evil thing looks so tempting and so good to me, but God, I do not want to give in to it. So God, I need your strength and I need your power because I cannot stop on my own. On my own, God, I'm sailing into doom. But God, I need you to help me to turn course through Jesus Christ, my high priest who is, who is without sin, so that I too can overcome this sin that Jesus has overcome on my behalf. And God will give us the power and the strength if we will seek him and trust him in those times. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Now, what a beautiful passage this is. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Now, we talk about the grace of God, and we see the grace of God often in Scripture. What is the grace of God? Well, perhaps the easiest way uh, to describe the grace of God is simply grace is is receiving love that is, that is not earned. That's what God gives to us. Now, we don't earn God's love. We don't earn God's favor. We don't earn God's forgiveness. There is not a work that you have done that is good enough that God looks at you and says, well, you know, everybody else needs the blood of Jesus, but that guy there, he's doing pretty good. I think he'll make it without it. That's not the way it works. Every single one of us have failed. Now, you may be fooling yourself today and think that you're doing enough. Well, I'm coming to church. I'm putting a little money in the plate. I went and wrapped a few pipes for, for an elderly person in the community. So that ought to be enough to tip the scale in my favor before God so I can earn God's favor. That's not the way that it works. 
There is no amount of works that we can do that are good enough to cover our heinous sinfulness. And so therefore we need something that is great, that is much greater than our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. So what does he say? He says, look, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who has given himself as the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we need to hold fast to that, that Savior, that we need to hold fast to that priest, that we need to know that we don't have to give in to temptation. And even though his audience was being tempted to turn from God, he says, don't turn. Instead, you need to not turn from Jesus Christ, but you need to go to the throne of grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. That's the kind of grace that we see over and over in Scripture. That God is gracious. That He loves those who are unlovable. That He helps those that He should destroy. But yet, God is gracious. And that's the type of grace that we need to know of today. Perhaps there are some of you today that don't know of God's grace. But let me tell you how good God's grace is. He can look at your sin and all the sins that you have committed and all the wrongs that you have done and all the evils that are in your heart today and God can say, I love you and I want to forgive you of those things. And I sent my son Jesus Christ to bring forgiveness to you. Now that is grace. And that's the gracious God that wants to know you today. If you don't know Him, God wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to experience that grace. To know that, look, you are an evil man. You are an evil woman. But yet God loves you anyway. That is a powerful encouragement. That is a powerful encouragement when we are discouraged and we are struggling and we are in pain and we say, man, how could God love me? Well, the answer to that is grace. God can love you not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And what a powerful thing when we are in the pits of despair that you can know today that Jesus loves you, that God loves you, that God's grace is not dependent on how good you can become, but on what Jesus has done on your behalf. How do we receive God's grace? We repent. We acknowledge our sin and we say, God, I am a sinner and I need your grace. And God, I can't earn it. God, I'm not coming to church to try to earn it. I'm not putting more money in the plate to try to earn it. God, I'm just coming to you as a wretched sinner. And God, I ask for your grace because what else can I do? That takes some boldness to go before the throne of God, knowing that we are wretched sinners and that we go before the God who created the heavens and the earth and we have nothing to offer, and yet God offered something on our behalf through Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful thing it is that we can boldly go before the throne of grace today and know that our sins are forgiven to know that God still loves us, to know that the, that the sacrifice and the blood that Jesus shed is sufficient to cover your sins. You may need to know that today. You may say, no way, not me. I want to tell you today that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover your sins this morning. And so maybe today you are one who is struggling and who is suffering and who is tempted and you're tired of battling. Well, today maybe you need to submit to Jesus Christ and say, look, I realize that Jesus has fought the battle and won it on my behalf. And the only way that I'm going to have the strength to keep going 
is to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's go back and look at the end of verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Now, we see grace often mentioned in the way that we just talked about. That is a grace that, that, that is something that a love that we receive that we are not deserving of. It's getting more than what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So you do something wrong and there should be a punishment and you don't get that punishment. But grace goes one step further than mercy. Not only does it not give you what you deserve, but it gives you what you don't deserve. So not only does God not just strike us all dead and send us to hell because of our sins, because that's what our sins are worthy of, instead he gives us mercy by not sending us straight to hell, and on top of that he gives us grace by letting us come into his wonderful presence and do his kingdom and that our sins may be forgiven. And that's the kind of grace that we see often in Scripture. That's the kind of grace that we see talked about often in Scripture. But perhaps there is more to grace than that. Because he says, uh, go before the throne of grace, but then he also says at the end of that passage, so that we may receive mercy and find grace. So we've already received some grace, but, but yet in our walk, we need to continue to seek God so that we can continue to find what? To find grace. To find grace when? So it can help us at the proper time. So it is grace that is going to help us as we continue our journey with the Lord, as we continue to seek Him, as we continue to try to live for Him. Yes, we've received grace through Jesus Christ when we put our faith and trust in Him. Yet the grace of God is something that continues to work and to continue to grow in our life. Grace also, we see it uh, used in a different way in Scripture. The idea that, that grace not only saves us, but grace enables us to continue to do the work of God, to continue to persevere, to continue to hang on in the difficult times. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, there was a thorn in the flesh that Paul was dealing with. Now, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. It was something that was, that was just, it was, it was a hard point in life for him. There was some suffering and anguish, it appears, and he wants the situation to end. He wants it to stop. He's tired of fighting. He's tired of the struggle. He's tired of, you've had a thorn before. He's not talking about a literal thorn in the flesh, but you know what a literal thorn feels like. It hurts. A thorn can dig into you and push into you, and it hurts when you get a thorn in you. And this is how Paul describes the situation. He says, my situation is something that just keeps poking and prodding, and it has for a long time. And God, I'm tired of it. Now, we can relate to that. There are some in here, and you've been through those situations. You're going through those situations. You will be going through them. Something that you just wish would end, and it lingers on, and it's hard, and you're tired, and you're ready to give up. That's how Paul felt. That's how Paul felt. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the middle of verse 7 here. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. Now, isn't this interesting? There was a thorn in his flesh, and what was the purpose? So that he would not exalt himself, so that he would not become proud, but so that he would 
continue to seek God, it appears, through this. And, and it says that this messenger of Satan, I don't know what this, if this was a person. I don't know if this was some supernatural thing. I'm not sure what was going on, and it really doesn't matter. We know what was going on. Is Paul was in a struggle, and it seems like had been for a long time, and he was ready for it to end, and we can relate to that. There are some of us in this church today, and we say, God, when will it end? I'm tired of the struggle. Well, that's the same idea. That's the same thought that, that Paul had here. Verse 8, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. Now, that's good advice. When we are in the midst of a temptation and a trial and a hard time, the first thing we need to do is we need to pray to God. We need to plead to God. And what does he say? He says three times. Now, there are things in our life, and some of you, you could probably say, I've prayed to God about this hundreds of times, and yet it keeps going. Well, Paul can relate. He understands. Look, there are things in life that are difficult. He had the difficulty in his life. He prayed to God. That's what we should do. He prayed three times. He prayed consistently. He prayed repeatedly that God would take this away. But God did not take it away. Let's continue reading and see what happens. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. What a beautiful verse. That's one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He said, God, I'm tired of fighting this battle. It's hard. It hurts. It's painful. I'm done. God, would you please take it away? Would you please take it away? Would you please take it away? And God said no. Now, we don't like that part. We don't like that because we, we sit here today and we say, I come here for encouragement. I come here for the word of God, and I'm in my struggle, and I'm praying to God, and man, I hope I come today and the preacher says something and reads a verse, and God lets me know that today I'm taking your thorn away. And sometimes God does. Sometimes God takes our thorns, and sometimes God says, no. Wait a minute. What are we going to do then? What are we going to do if we're in the middle of life and life is difficult and painful and we're suffering and we don't think we can make it another day and take another step? What are we going to do if God says no? Well, praise the Lord, God didn't just say no. He didn't just say, no, I'm not going to remove it. But instead, listen to what he said in verse 9. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Boy, isn't that good. That's good. That's good. Sometimes God says, no, I'm not going to deliver you from this right now. You've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep trusting. It's going to be hard, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I may not take this away. I may not give you the answer that you want to hear today, but he says, but my grace is sufficient. That's a good message because we will not make it today through our trials and our troubles and our sufferings apart from the grace of God. So not only does the grace of God save us from our sins, but the grace of God enables us to endure our sufferings. So God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient. And I want to tell you today that God's grace is still sufficient. And maybe you don't hear the yes to your prayer that you're praying that you're praying today, but I want you to hear the word of God this morning. God has says to us that his grace is sufficient. God's grace can allow us to do things that we never thought we could do, to endure things that we never thought we could endure. God's grace is 
sufficient. What does it say? My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Isn't that interesting? Power is perfected in weakness. Now, that's kind of counterintuitive. We think that, well, well, strength is going to lead to power. The stronger we are, the more power we have. But God, as is often the case, does things opposite of the way we think. And God says, my power is perfected in weakness. So in the midst of the weakness that we may be in in our life where we say, I cannot go anymore, we need to know that the grace of God is sufficient and will bring power to our lives and strengthen us to endure and be able to do whatever it is that God has put before us. Therefore, I will boast Excuse me, therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We need to be reminded of those words today. Now, perhaps we're not, we're not quite as strong as Paul at this point. God says, no, my grace is sufficient. And Paul says, I'm going to boast all the more. Let the weaknesses come because as I'm weak, it shows your power. And so, God, I'm going to boast in that. Well, that's the place we need to be. And maybe some of you are there today and maybe some of us, it needs to be our prayer. God, I'm not quite there yet. God, I'm in the midst of my weaknesses and I'm still struggling. God, I want to boast in you. I want to rejoice in you. So, God, let me experience your grace in the same way that Paul has. Let me, in the midst of my weakness, trust you to know that when I am weak, then I am strong. How does that make any sense? You think if you're weak, you're weak. If you're strong, you're strong. But, but not in God. Because in Christ, when we are weak, we are strong. Because in Christ, we recognize our weakness. We recognize that we are nothing. And when we recognize that we are nothing, we recognize that God is everything. And that is our source of strength. That's where our strength comes from. So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. The throne of grace that brings forgiveness to our life, that, 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 that saves our souls through Jesus' precious blood, and continue to seek mercy and grace. Not just a grace that saves us, but a grace that enables us to do things that we otherwise could not do. Man, you ever seen somebody do something and you say, I could never do that? I don't know how they do that. Well, oftentimes, for those who are in Christ, I can tell you how they do it. They do it by the grace of God. You say, I could never, I could never share the gospel with anybody. I could never stand up and preach. I'd, I'd be nervous as could be. But you might be surprised at the things that if God calls you to it and says, Nope, my grace is sufficient, you can do that. You say, I could never go be a missionary in that country and leave all the luxuries here that I'm used to. I could never go somewhere where there's no power. I don't know how people do that. They go somewhere in the middle of a jungle. They're eating who knows what. I don't know how people do that. I can tell you how they do it. They do it by the grace of God. And let me tell you this. There's nothing in this world that you cannot do by the grace of God. There may be things that God has put before you and they seem scary and they seem too big. And you say, God, how can I do that? God, I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. I don't have the skill. I don't have the talent. God, how can I do that? I'll tell you how you can do it. You can do it by the grace of God because it is the grace of God that enables us and empowers us and leads us and helps us to do the works that he has called us to do. So the author of Hebrews says, look, 
you got a great high priest, one you can go to, one who can relate to you, one who is without sin and one who can forgive your sins, one who can bring you grace. And so he says, go before the throne of grace today. The people of Hebrews needed grace at the proper time. We all have a proper time. There's all, there, there are some days in life you go through and they're pretty good, and there are some days you go through and you say, I don't think I can make it through this day. That's the proper time that we need to approach the throne of grace so that we can receive that grace to give us the power to make it through days that we otherwise could not make it through. And oh, what a joy it is when we find the grace of God. Oh, what a joy it is when we, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we find the grace of God that has forgiven us our sins and washed us as white as snow. What a joyous day that is. What a joyous day it is even for those who have walked with God for years to experience the grace of God, that God can use them and empower them to do His work. What a beautiful thing that is. So the question we have to answer today is, one, have you ever experienced the grace of God? You may know the Word of God. You may know about Jesus. But I'm asking you today, have you ever experienced the grace of God? That grace that takes your sin and relieves your pain and your burden and gives you a joy that you cannot understand or explain. Have you ever experienced that grace? I'll tell you, you can only experience it through Jesus Christ. And maybe today there are some... and. And you've been wondering, how am I going to make it through? My life circumstance and situation is so heavy for me today. I have been battling with it and I've been praying for it. And it seems like God doesn't care and he didn't answer. But maybe God's answer to you today is the same that it was to Paul all those years ago. I hear you, brother. I hear you, sister. I know you don't understand why you're going through this, why this is happening, why I don't make it stop, but just know that I'm giving you my grace and it's sufficient. And even though you are weak right now, you'll find strength in me. So trust in the grace of God today. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. We thank you for a great high priest in Jesus Christ who has given everything on our behalf so that our sins may be forgiven, dear Lord. We thank you that we don't have to try to earn your grace. Because if we did, dear Lord, we would be in a bad way today. But dear Lord, we don't have to do anything but trust in the one that you have sent, dear Lord. That he would do the work in our life. God, you are the ones that change your heart. We've got to give you our heart, dear Lord. You'll change it. So God, maybe there are some here today that do not know Jesus Christ. Maybe they've been trying to earn your grace. Maybe they're thinking if they do just good enough things, God, that when that day comes that they stand before you, that, that it'll be just enough. But God, it won't be just enough. If they're not covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and washed free of their sins, God, nothing we can do will be enough. But God, we thank you that what Jesus did was enough. And so, dear Lord, I pray that if there are some in this room that do not know Jesus today, that they would, that they would find that grace that you offer us, dear Lord, that they would find joy and peace knowing that their sins are forgiven, dear Lord, that they would know that you are the one who transforms hearts, God. We don't clean up our life and then come to you because we got it figured out. We come to you with a life that's a mess and we plop it down before you and say, God, I give it to you because there's nothing I can do. And God, you are the one that does the work, that does the cleaning. So God, maybe there are some here today and they've been going around it, about it all backwards. They've been trying to get their life straight so they can come to you. But God, today they need to come to you so you can get their life straight.
Dear Lord, maybe there are some here today that are struggling. I know, God, in a room this size, there's got to be some here that are struggling, God. There are some that are suffering. There are some that have prayed over and over and over and over, dear Lord. There are some that probably feel like you don't hear them, that you're not listening, that you don't care. But I pray, God, today that they would know that you do care, that you do hear, that you are listening. And God, maybe for some of them your answer is going to be yes. I pray, God, if it be your will, that you say yes to those who are asking for a yes. But God, maybe for some, maybe for some today the answer is no. Maybe our prayer is not answered in the way that we want. But God, maybe today our answer is, is your grace. And God, it's enough. It's enough if we would seek it, if we would hold on to it. It may, not, it may not seem like what we want, dear Lord, but it's better probably than what we're asking for. If that's what you give us, dear Lord, sometimes, that's, what it's, that's, that's, that's it. It's better, dear Lord. You know what's better than what we ask for. And so, God, your grace is better for us today. And so I pray, God, if there is one that is struggling today, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they would trust in the grace that you have through him, God, that you would enable them and strengthen them to do whatever it is that they need to do, to make it through whatever it is that they're going through, dear Lord, that they would find power today. God, they may be so weak, they may not feel that they can make another day, another week, another month. But God, it is in this weakness that we need to seek you. And God, I pray that when all other avenues are exhausted, that we do not forget that you are here with us. God, that we would turn to you before it gets to that point. But maybe there are some here today, and they've exhausted every avenue looking for hope. And maybe today, dear Lord, in their weakness, they just need to collapse before you. And they need to be strengthened by the power of Jesus Christ. Let us find your grace today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.